Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we are speaking with Elamine Abdel Mahmoud, the Toronto-based Sudanese-Canadian writer, cultural and political commentator, and the host of the podcast's Pop Chat and Podcast Playlist. Elamine's new book is called Son of Elsewhere, A Memoir in Pieces, and it's about his coming of age in a place he likes to call elsewhere. Today, we talk about how Elamine became Black, his relationship to music, and the politics of problematic favorites. Our book club pick for July is Season of Migration to the North by Tayeb Salih. We will be discussing the book on July 27th when Elamine Abdel Mahmoud returns. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on each episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. If you love this show and want more of it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack. We've got bonus episodes, a super active Discord community, monthly book club meetups, and a lot more. It's also a great way for you to show your support for the work we do on this independent podcast. Head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join. And now it's time for my conversation with Elamine Abdel Mahmoud. All right, everybody, I'm so excited today. I am joined by Elamine Abdel Mahmoud, who is the author of Son of Elsewhere. He's a podcaster, he's a buzzfeeder, he's a writer, generally a human. Mm. Elamine, welcome to the stacks. <laughs> I love being introduced as generally a human. That is true. That's a big fact. That's a, a significant part of my identity. I would say probably the majority of my identity is just that. But yeah, thank you. Thank you uh, for having I me. I don't know. I don't know if that's the majority. For me, the majority of your identity is author of Son of Elsewhere, because that's what we're here to talk about. But. Yes, that's fair. That's fair. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited you're here. I have to tell you a quick story about how this happened, basically. I started reading your book, and a friend of mine had mentioned how much they loved Season of Migration to the North. And as I was reading like your first or second essay, mm-hmm. it is mentioned in the book, and I was like, oh my God, this is the sign. I have to read the book. And then yeah. as I kept reading your book, I was like, oh my God, I love this guy. Maybe he'll come and talk with me about this book. Of course. And I'm so excited because we'll get to this next time, but you're going to have to do a lot of helping me understand what the fuck I read in that book. <laughs> we can do it together. So just so yes. you know, we're going to, you're about to become not just generally a human, but also generally a teacher, a oh literature boy. teacher. Get I don't ready. know if I can do that, but you know, I'm going to do I my think best. You can. That's, that's the part that's going <laughs> to, we're going to try it. We're going to figure it out together. Yeah. But before we get to that, let's talk about you. Elamine, you're, well, why don't you tell the people a little bit about you that that fills in the sort of generally a human gap that I left wide open? <laughs> I think you covered most of it, to be honest with you. So I am a, I'm a culture writer for BuzzFeed News. That's my, that's what I do for a living. I host a pop culture show for CBC here in Canada called Pop Chat. It's sort of like a weekly um, pop culture show where we talk about the, the biggest story in pop culture that week. I'm a father of a five-year-old, you know, I am generally a human. I am someone who <laughs> has a really hard time leaving the house without like a, a new playlist arranged. And so when I say that I'm like 
20 minutes late to something is usually because I spent 15 <laughs> minutes of it trying to make the perfect <laughs> playlist, you know? Um, that's me. That's me in, in a nutshell. I can't drive a 15-minute drive without making a brand new playlist and be like, what are the songs that I need for exactly this drive? That's me. Oh, my gosh. Okay. What I think is fantastic about you is that if I was going to describe your book, I would mention basically zero of those things because the way that it's pitched is it's like Sudanese immigrant to Canada and it's like about your different identities. And I love that you didn't mention any of that <laughs> because that just means we have so much more to talk about. We do. Um, I want to start with your, not with your book, actually. I want to start with your podcast life because you sure. do a pop culture podcast, a music podcast, a politics podcast that maybe you don't do anymore. Mm-hmm. How the fuck do you stay up on all these things? Like, when do you eat? When do you sleep? When do you relax? When do you take care of your child? When do you spend time with your lovely wife, Emily, who we get to meet in the book, who we all love very much? <laughs> um, Honestly, I, I, the pop culture parts are woven into all these things, you know, like the, so much of me listening to new music is me reacting to it in the car while my daughter is in the car also. And she's like, what are we listening to? And why is this not the Encanto soundtrack? <laughs> Which fair enough, you know, she has notes often. I, I would say that like the, the, the majority of my time, um, I'm lucky enough to sort of be paid for a living to listen to and engage with new pop culture. And so I spent a lot of time doing that. Mm. I spent a lot of time thinking about new music, thinking about new films or TV shows that have come out. That's what I do. That's what I get to do for a living. Like my boss is like, hey, this is a part of your job. Go do that. And so that allows me a lot of time to just um, take in a lot of new information and then process it and go, oh, yes, this is something I want to engage with. Yeah, I don't ever have time for pop culture things because I have to read things. And my biggest regret in life is that I didn't make a podcast about like snacks because that's my favorite thing. And then I could just eat snacks all the time and not spend hours reading, though I do. Reading is my second favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to ask you about Elsewhere, which is, you know, the title of your book, Son of Elsewhere. It, you, yeah. start, you start the book there. You sort of explain it. Can you explain to the listeners sort of the framing of this idea of elsewhere, what it is, maybe where it is, how it came to you. Like just, I, mm-hmm. I loved reading about it. So I want you to share with the peeps. I think uh, for me, elsewhere is about balance. Like it's about the tug and pull of allocating, you know, certain parts of your identity to different parts of where you come from. And so I was born in Sudan. I moved to Canada when I was 12 for some time I sort of spent a lot of energy and brain just power dedicated to being like, am I more from there or more from here? And Mm. what is this in between space and the kind of bouncing back and forth and bouncing back and forth. And I wanted to own the space in the middle. I wanted to own the bouncing, the sort of rattling, this this idea of, yeah, actually more, more often than not, I'm being jostled from one place to the other, but I don't have to think of either one of them as home I can think of the jostling as home. I can sort of be okay with understanding that I'm constantly going to be pulled back and forth. And, and, and that's elsewhere. Elsewhere is this tension that you hold when you are like, you know, I'm feeling pretty Canadian today. And then you like (laughs) see one thing that reminds you of Sudan and you kind of go like, Whoa, I don't know where I'm from. I you know, sort of feel (laughs) lost and everywhere else. I, I see all the time, for example, people have like tattoos of words that they can't say, you know, but mm-hmm, they know that mm-hmm. like this means something to their family or their parents. Mm-hmm. That's elsewhere to me. That's a place that you're like, I want to have a relationship with this place, but I don't know what kind of relationship it is. And like, that's, that's living in between, you know? Do you think that it's exclusive to immigrants or people who ha- are children of like recent immigrants? Or do you think that it can be elsewhere for other types of identities? I don't think it's exclusive at all. I think it's uh, sometimes there are two identities that demand your attention and they can be competing or they can be contradictory. And you kind of feel yourself being suspended between the two of them. I recently talked to someone who was like, you know, I grew up in this like small town um, and we were not particularly wealthy, but now I'm someone who, A, I have money and B, I exist in a world where we have a lot of cultural power. Like he gets, he gets a lot of influence in terms of getting to shape politics. And he's like, I no longer belong in my hometown, but I absolutely mm. don't feel like I belong in this like world of like rich, powerful people that I mm-hmm. sort of exist in all the time. I 
feel very much my hometown when I'm with these people, and I feel very much of these people when I'm in my hometown. And I think that is its own version of elsewhere. I think like there's many ways for you to be pulled back and forth in those ways. Um, yeah. For me, this is how it manifested itself, but I think other people can have lots of different um, elsewheres. Well, I related to elsewhere, but I was like, maybe I'm just being selfish and projecting myself onto someone else's story. <laughs> no, you, it's like an invitation for you to project okay. yourself onto it. I hope okay, that good. you did. Thank you for projecting yourself onto it. Yeah, I did. I. It's really my thing is to make everything about me. So I did that <laughs> naturally. I do that naturally. Strong play. Uh, <laughs> Strong play. Same, yeah. same. Yeah. But I feel like, I mean, you sort of talk about it, about like when you came to America, all or America, to Canada, all of a sudden you were black. And I was thinking a lot about what it means to be American and what it means to be black and like that there is that elsewhere in between those things as well. You know, we're recording this on Juneteenth observed in America, but this Mm -hmm. will be airing the week of 4th of July, which Mm -hmm. is my favorite holiday. But there's a big elsewhere in there. Ooh, do you want to talk about that? Do you want to talk about why the 4th of July is your favorite holiday? Because I'm like, yeah. now we're going to make the rest of the podcast about this. Like this about is me. the show's about now. <laughs> See, we're making yeah. it about me. I told you I'm very good at this. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I will tell you why 4th of July is my favorite holiday. I love the summer. Mm-hmm. I love any holiday that has no presents. I love <laughs> outdoors. I love a barbecue. I love a cocktail. I especially love yeah. like a summer cocktail moment. And before I understood history, I liked that it was like this national thing that everyone loved. Yeah. And it was always like a good hang holiday. Sometimes we'd go to the lake. It was summer vacation. Like, it's hot dogs. It's it's just like a fun thing. Yeah. Then you read history, and then you remember that you're Black, and then you remember elsewhere. Right. It gets complicated for you later. Yeah. So like I love 4th of July. I love like that day as a holiday and like people, we always have a barbecue and all that stuff. But now I've like stopped wearing red, white and blue on 4th of July. <laughs> like, like, Do you think it'll ever go different. back though? Like, do you think, do you think it'll ever be like, you know what? 4th of July can be its own meaning to me and I want to wear red, white and blue on this holiday. Because I think that some people do find their ways back and be like, I get that this is complicated, but also this mm-hmm. is mine, you know? And I, I don't know if you're anywhere near there. I don't know because America obviously w- was horrible to black people in 1776 when the holiday started, but also like yeah. things are still really bad. And so it feels and like you know about politics, but I'm assuming it's mostly Canadian is like, that's what you write about. That's where you are. But, you know, I'm sure you've heard of MAGA and January 6th oh, yeah, yeah. and these things. Yes. And I feel like it's a holiday that those people love. And so wearing red, white, and blue feels like a different, horrible thing. Sure. It doesn't just feel like I'm wearing red, white, and blue because that's the colors of our flag. Because if it was just that, I could do it. But right now, it just feels like I don't want anyone to think that I think it's okay to be American broadly because of how horrible the other people in red, white, and blue today are. No, I think that's the, that's the complicating thing about nationalism in general and flags right now, you know, like we're having a similar moment in this country, you know, there was this really big story um, in February where like a trucker convoy took over our capital. Of course. But they they took over the Capitol and they just had a bunch of flags as being like, we're about this. And I think there's a it's, there's something that's like a little bit confusing when the rest of the country doesn't have a very intense relationship with nationalism. So you're like, yeah, we, the flag is nice and great. And so it's weird to see a symbol that you associate with just like the everyday um, mm-hmm. end up being used in this like very different way. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are reconfiguring their relationship to the flag. Um, and it's strange, you know, it's strange to, to to see something that they've thought about in one way their whole life suddenly be reframed. Um, and like, that's its own version of elsewhere. You know, you're like, I right. love this flag, but I also don't want to love it in the way that these people love it. How can I right. not be a part of that? You know? Right. No, totally. I mean, I think I- I'm going to ask you about this later, like you're your favorite problematic book, but I, mine is, I tell everyone this, it's gone with the wind and it's the same kind Mm -hmm. of thing. 
I love the book. I love the movie. But there are people who love it in a way that are diametrically opposed to my entire existence. And so it mm -hmm. becomes problematic. Yeah. You know, and like, obviously, the history there is wonky and the depictions, blah, blah, blah. But like, more than anything, it's problematic to me because I don't want to be aligned with the other people who are aligned with this thing that I love. That's true. That's going to be a really complicated it's thing. Like you, That's a yeah, you don't you don't want to say something and then have like Tucker Carlson retweet you. You know, it's like, wait, why? Why do we like this thing together? We hate everything. You know, it's like when I see an athlete post something and then I see some horrible right wing person be like this. Yeah. And then I'm like, You're oh, like, no, I can't like you anymore. I hate sports. But can I again. ask? <laughs> can I ask you, like, do you think this is a technology problem or do you think it's like a, the idea problem? Because in many ways, it's like liking things. We can continue to like the same things that we've always liked. But performing that liking in public seems to be much more complicated. Like, I think if I was just like yeah. having a conversation with a person, you could just explain to them the things that you like. And they're not going to be like, what are you, a crazy raging racist? They might just be yeah. like, oh, okay, cool. You're a human being and I'm having a conversation with you in person as opposed to endorsing it online, which feels like, okay, there's an imagined audience and then you kind of imagine the morality of that audience. And then it gets kind of like spun out to, you know, 80 million levels. And then suddenly we're like, was the internet a mistake? Like that's where you end up. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, I don't yeah. love that part. I feel really complicated about that part, to be honest. I definitely think some of it is a technology problem. I think yeah. the Fourth of July thing is not. <laughs> that's I think that's, that's like that feels like I would feel bad. I I'm not really like publicly like I love Fourth of July because of the technology part of it. Yeah. But I feel weird on like I didn't do a Fourth of July party for two years because I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. With my dearest closest friends and family, do you know what I mean? It wasn't about like Tucker Carlson. That's fair. That's fair. But anyways, this is. <laughs> I love 4th of July. I hope everyone who celebrates had a lovely day. <laughs> this is airing like July 6th or something. I hope you have amazing um, hot dogs. I want this for you. This is going to be great. Oh, there will be hot dogs. Don't you worry. It's it's <laughs> really the whole reason. I As I mentioned, I love a snack. I love a food. A hot dog is yes. high on the list. Yeah. Okay. This got, this got really off track. But while we're talking about snacks and things, you love Pepsi. <laughs> I do. I sure do. I wrote at length about the ways that I was a very committed Pepsi person. I've changed teams. And I don't want to talk about it. You know, I will not. You uh, have. I have. It's really complicated for me, man. To Coke or to something entirely different? Like like Coke Zero specifically. It's Okay, it's, delicious. It's low-key the superior product. Like I don't, I, I feel complicated about this, but yeah. This is your 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, look, I love Coke Zero, but I don't want to like publicly admit this to anybody in case they use it against yeah. me, you know, but yes. I just didn't know a Pepsi person until you. <laughs> well, that's not true. My dad really liked Pepsi, yeah. but it's, it's tough for me. I just don't, you liked the taste of Pepsi. <laughs> well, okay, first of all, a few things. Let me say this. One... Pepsi in Sudan tasted different, I would say. Like, okay. And I think like, this, I don't, do you ever have, do you ever order Mexican Coke? Is that a thing for you? Yes, yes, yes. It's a different, yeah, that has real sugar in it. Has, that's right. So you use a sugar cane as opposed to corn syrup um, for yeah. sweetener. Um, and it's way better. It's way better. And like, you can taste the difference. And I think I feel the same mm -hmm. way when it comes to Pepsi in Sudan versus Pepsi here. Like, I think Pepsi here is okay. way too sweet. But uh, I, in Sudan, like I got, with the stuff that I really gravitated to was just like the regular Pepsi and the way that it made me feel. I was like, this feels okay. cool, you know? Um, I would say like, I didn't, I don't know if Coke had as big a presence in Sudan. It also helped that my uncle worked for Pepsi. Um, yes. And so that kind of allowed me, um, let's say steady access. Yeah. And that aunt is, is your favorite aunt because she got the access to the Pepsi. It was very clear that you loved your family members, love your family members based on relation to Pepsi. Yeah, an uncle who works at Pepsi, a an aunt who always regularly gets me Pepsi. Like that's those are my people, hundred percent. Yeah, I respect this. <laughs> uh, okay, I, oh, there's so many things I want to talk to you about the book. Everyone, if you haven't read the book, you have to read it because there's so much good stuff in it, and we only have so much time. But Thank I want to talk about music because I know yeah. that you talk about music a lot in life. And when you first came to Canada, your cousin was like, "Elamine." listen to hip hop, check out Nas, check out Lauren Hill, like you'll feel seen. 
yeah. and you listened and you were like, I'm sort of a square. It's a little too much swearing. It's a little too much sexy time. It's just, it's a little much for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering, because so in the book, you then write about new metal, you write about country music. And I feel that people might suggest that's like white music. They might. And I'm, they might. And I think that all music is black music, personally. Yes, yeah, speak And on so it. I'm just wondering like how you feel as a, and, and I know that you like made your way back to hip hop and I know you talk about that a little bit here and there, but I'm yeah. wondering how you feel about the erasure of blackness from the kinds of music that you did connect with. And like, if you felt mm. that you had to justify yourself, because that's another thing that you talk about is like trying to find your place as a black person in a new country when you don't feel like you're black because you weren't black when you yeah. were in the Sudan. So it's sort of, that's like a huge, weird, crazy question. Have fun with it. <laughs> I love this question. It is so crazy, but I'll start with this is that like when I gravitated towards new metal, it was specifically because I saw it as white. It was like, this is, I see this as white music and I'm just going to go right. towards it. And so by the time I got around to listening to country music, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any particular reservations about white versus black types of music. Like I, was approaching the genre being like, this is a predominantly white form of music, but I will still engage with it anyway. And I sort of started diving into it. I think when I started diving into the history of country music is when I began to understand that so much of its history is black music. About the fact that, you know, with the turn of the 20th century, um, so many of the swing bands in the South were white or black, were basically doing the same music. There wasn't wasn't a lot of difference in them. Um, and the way that it was packaged was basically due to this one man, Ralph Peer, who saw that there was a lot of money to be made in taking all the black artists who are doing the swing dancing music and calling it race records and taking all the white artists and calling them hillbilly. Um, and then hillbilly eventually became country music. And country music is kind of foundational to the white mythology in America. But it still comes from a place where, oh, this music was once borderless, was once sort of mm -hmm. very loose, was not, you know, like it wasn't such a rigid kind of uh, division between the genres. Now, all of that connected to my own relationship to genre is that like at first, when I ran away from hip hop, it's because I come from a place that has a deep history of shadism, a place that has a deep history of colorism, um, that the, I, when I arrived here, I was like, what do you mean we're black? Like, I don't view my skin color as black. I don't think of myself as a black person. And when, when I turn on the TV in the predominantly white town that I lived in, you know, it was like, here's some iterations of what is black. Um, and it was like, mm. I could only see blackness on television. And it was like Ja Rule. And I was like, I want none of this. I'm going to run away <laughs> from Ja. No, thank you, Ja Rule. Um, and it's, and it scared me because I sort of grew up in this like relatively conservative upbringing. And I was like, no, 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 like that's, black music. And that's when I sort of ran away towards that um, white music, but then, well, white music, quote unquote. But uh, now I sort of think about that as very differently in the sense that you're absolutely right. Like so much of the music is rooted in black music. Black music kind of gave us all of these other forms um, of music in general. And so I'm grateful to know more about the history. I'm grateful to spend time with the history um, because it allows me to sort of unsettle my own ideas of, I always listen to white music. It's like, was I, or was I listening to like, you know, derivative 985,000 of the blues essentially, mm -hmm. um, which is how we eventually got to new metal and eventually how we got to all other kinds of music. Right. Um, we're around the same age, I think, because a lot of your cultural touchstones are mine too. Like the OC, hey, very yeah. remember very well where I was with that finale. Spoiler yeah. alert, RIP Marissa. Uh, <laughs> gone too soon, but also yeah. maybe not. I don't but know. also gone very late, took a long time, could have done one season. Thank you. Um, yes. So like a lot of the music, like when you're talking about the songs, I was like, holy shit, I forgot about Limp Bizkit. Cause that was like very TRL. <gasps> remember, you? like, well, cause like I was not listening to that. I, I, it. it wasn't because it was white music. It was because I really like a, a melody. I really like rhythm. Feel strongly wow. about rhythm. Expectations. And it was, <laughs> yeah, it's just not aesthetically pleasing to my ears. That's fair. Um, That's fair. So the screaming. It's it's a lot. Um, yeah. 
Okay, I'm pushing. There's a whole other conversation I want to have to, with you about language. But I'm going to push that to when we get to season of migration to the north. But the last thing I want to ask you about your book before we move on to your reading taste is mm-hmm. about soccer or football, specifically Mo Salah yes, uh, and Liverpool. Go. Are you a Liverpool fan? No, Liverpool fan would imply that it's something that I do on the side. I am professionally a supporter of the Liverpool Football Club. Everything else I do is in the service of, I guess, like eating and breathing. But the primary identity that I have is I am a devout, um, I'm a devotee of the Liverpool Football Club. So fan, I think, is too (laughs) casual, um, is too distant. So yeah, I don't, but I will accept fan as substitute for everything else that we're talking about here. But the devotion runs deep. Do you identify as a Liverpudlian? <laughs> I sure don't. Not even remotely. Okay, okay. Not, not even, even not even spiritually. Like not even okay. like Have you oh been my. to Liverpool? Never. Never been to Liverpool. Never. Okay. Yeah. And is your Liverpool obsession, passion, and reason for being exclusively tied to Mo Salah? Or if he leaves, are you a Man United fan all of a sudden. Are you oh going God. all can in on Crystal Palace? Imagine? <laughs> like, can you what's imagine? Uh, I think there is a possibility that I would become a Manchester United fan. Say, for example, I get hit by a car and I wake up and I have no idea who I am. And then okay. the people who nurse me back to health, they say, hey, uh, by the way, you've, you've been a longtime supporter of Manchester United, in which case I guess I would believe them. That's really the only circumstance I can surmise okay. being okay. Um, potentially oriented towards such a uh, woof, let's say a low standard team as okay. Manchester United. Okay. But no, I've I been, agree. I've been I'm a, a city <laughs> fan, so I also don't like Man United, but. You're a city fan. Oh, man. I really have to leave this podcast right now. I'm really sorry. Um, something's it's just okay. come up. It's okay. We can be friendly. I also have an insane. I actually now despise Mo Salah, but it's not his fault at all, but I can't <laughs> shake. This is, I, okay, I'm going to tell you my crazy story. Yeah, I'm ready. Like, I beg your pardon? Go. Yes. <laughs> so I just want to reiterate, this has nothing to do with Mo and everything to do with Mo. So you'll get it. Got it. I have two small children. They're two and a half year old twins. We were at the park one day. There was like a tunnel that my kid was crawling through. He got scared. So he sat down in the middle of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And I let him do that because I was like, he's scared. He needs to try to like figure it out. He wasn't crying. He just was like scared spooked yeah and then these older kids came through and they had just played a soccer game they were maybe like eight or nine and they started coming through the tunnel and this one little boy came up to me and was like you need to get him out of the tunnel and i was like okay thank you for telling me how to parent seven-year-old child (laughs) and it wasn't because he was worried it was because he wanted to go through the tunnel unimpeded sure all the kids go through they step over my kid it's fine then about five minutes later, this boy who was telling me what to do comes back and he steps on my kid. At which case, obviously, oh I get really fucking pissed and I'm like, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> you don't step on people. And then the kid comes out and then I go into the tunnel to get my kid, at which point my kid starts crying immediately. And I was like, OK, you could have just said, mommy, come get me, but it's fine, whatever. Yeah. And then I turned to see the kid who was telling me what to do. And he had on a fucking Mo Salah jersey. <laughs> <laughs> okay first of all that sounds horrific but second of all i yeah. feel like mo wouldn't endorse this he'd be like i don't this care kid. this kid felt community with that player he <laughs> felt like i want to wear this jersey this guy's me we relate and i was by like the, you know what mo sala is out <laughs> by the powers invested in me as a liverpool devotee I excommunicate that kid from the Liverpool okay. fandom. Uh, okay, I'm back in on Mo Salah. I love him for yeah. every other reason. He's he can, so good. He's so scary. So scary. Yes. When he's yes. coming down the pitch with the ball, I'm like, oh my God, stop, stop. I'm like, there's nothing. Not even Ederson can stop this man. Like, yeah. it's terrifying. I can't believe you invoke Ederson in this chat. I really have to go now. Unbelievable. <laughs> you know, he's my number one enemy on earth. I think there, there's something about watching Mo run. Right. Like this guy runs with his whole body in a way that like I think a lot of other footballers don't. Like mm-hmm. other people are like, oh, you're running with your feet. And I get it. But like Mo's whole being is being kind of lurched forward mm-hmm. in a way that is just so compelling to watch. And like this guy will have no control. That's how fast he's going. But he has all the control. And it's just like it's poetry, but in a body. It's just incredible. It's incredible yeah. to watch him play. Yeah. He's great. I could talk soccer 
or football, whatever you call it. I don't know. Yeah. I think in Canada they say football. I mean, they say soccer, but I just say football. And, okay. and I figure I let people catch up, you know? Yeah, I get it. I yeah. get it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, then we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, we're back. I didn't prep you for this, but every month we do this thing where someone writes in, they're asking for a book recommendation. We're going to read what they asked for, and then we're going to give them a recommendation. Oh, boy. Ready? Okay, I'm ready. (laughs) Okay, this comes from Shannon. Shannon says, oh, this is nice. Shannon says a nice thing at the beginning. Okay. All of the gratitude and thanks to all that you do and all that you suggest. I read mostly nonfiction and and am obsessed with cults, diverse religions, alternative thought lifestyles, memoirs, mental health, and true crime. Yep, it gets weird. My top reads include Crying in H Mart, We Keep the Dead Close, Leaving Isn't the Hardest Thing, Hidden Valley Road, The Only Plane in the Sky, and Life Undercover. I'm looking for some deep dives to keep my wheels turning and occupied during the stressful reintegration of life that we're all facing. Ooh. I can go first. I'm going to give her three. You can just come up with one, but if more than one come to you, that's great too. Okay. Okay, Shannon, my first one should come as 0% surprise to anyone who listens to this show. It's one of my favorite books. It's called A Thousand Lives. It's by Julia Shearers, and it's about the Jonestown community, People's Temple, et cetera, et cetera. It's fucking phenomenal. The book is focused on the people of the People's Temple and not of Jim Jones, but you get more than your fair share of Jim Jones. Don't worry. My second one is Going Clear by Lawrence Wright which is about Scientology. It's really good. It's really well written. He wrote the book, The Looming Tower, about 9-11 and the investigation, et cetera, et cetera. He's a very um, well-liked journalist. And then my last one is Memorial Drive by Natasha Trethaway. 
And she was the poet laureate of America. It's her memoir about the murder of her mother by her stepfather. Oh, my God. It's very short. (laughs) Yeah. It's very intense. Okay. It's so well written. So those are my three. Elamine, what do you got? Oh, boy. Okay. I'm interpreting the way that that ask was put as you like to be immersed in worlds um, real life worlds that are just really colorfully rendered. And so let me recommend to you, um, let's say Champagne Supernovas, which is a book by Maureen, I want to say Maureen Callahan. I can't remember her last name, but it's a, it's a book about Kate Moss and uh, Alexander McQueen and Mark Jacobs. And that very specific like mid nineties fashion moment that sort of gave oh. us everything that we sort of think about the nineties now and it's like so beautifully written in the ways that it kind of captures exactly what the 90s was, but also the base were just like a bunch of children who didn't know what they were doing when they <laughs> when they kind of basically created the culture, you know? Um, and so there's something really compelling about how deeply plopped into that world you are, you know? Um, is that like kind of go like wow alexander mcqueen was just like making it up as he went along and then now he's like oh he's like this like here's like this genius and so champagne supernovas i highly highly recommend it i think like the subtitle is like the renegades who made the 90s or something um i can't try to remember it but it's so so good um okay we'll link to that in the show notes so the author will be there too um then the other one is oh it's called where the devil don't stay um, and this okay. is related to country music because um, oh, okay. it's a history of the band that drive by truckers who are just like a deeply influential sort of alt country kind of band. Like they do country sort of rock and roll kind of thing where the devil don't stay. And it's by God, Stephen something. I can't remember his name, but don't worry. We're going to link to it. So it'll be there for people. But so someone who like became like really, really um, popular after he left the drive-by truckers is this guy named Jason Isbell. Um, and he does sort of deeply like incredible Americana kind of music. Um, his songwriting to me is like unparalleled. He's just one of the best um, songwriters in America right now. And I think like getting a sense of like, here's this band and here's the ways that they have to rough it in the sort of early aughts um, in order to get through their career. You're just so deeply plopped into this world. I highly recommend that. And then by way of memoir, why don't I throw in uh, Rachel Cusk's Coventry, which is a banger. Mm. Just, a, just, a, just an incredible account of parenting, marriage, her relationship to her parents. Rachel Cusk anything, of course, but Rachel Cusk uh, <laughs> nonfiction is just like truly underrated to me, mostly because people want to talk about the fiction because it's so good. So Coventry I, is, is the one I'd recommend. Love it. Love it. Shannon, if you read any of these, you have to let us know what you thought. And everyone else, email askthestacks at thestackspodcast.com to get your book recommendation read on air. Okay. Yay. This is my favorite part. We get to talk about your taste in books. Two books you love, one book you hate. I'm not very good at hating things. Like, I don't don't know if that's... Uh. I hate when people yeah. do this to me. I'm just re- fucking I'm pick really, a book you don't like. I, there's not a lot. That doesn't happen to me. I'm also like, I'm not. Are you a completist? Are you someone who's like, I don't like this book. No. I'm going to dip out. Okay. Yeah. Same. No, but if I don't like a book enough, I will finish it just so I can know <laughs> all the things that are to dislike because I am petty, even with strangers books. I don't, I don't have that. I don't have that muscle. Okay. Um Two books I love. Um, let me give you Home is Not a Country, which is a novel in verse by Safi Al-Hilo. Um, she's a Sudanese-American writer. She's incredible. And it's a there's something about her prose that is just so like shocking to me as someone who's like constantly looking for echoes of Sudan in the ways mm-hmm. that people move or ways that people carry themselves. So Home is Not a Country, highly recommend that. Let's, let's do another novel in verse. Um, okay. Um, Nur Naga and her book is Wash's Praise. And it's a very short novel in verse that is just like a deeply compelling meditation on faith and the ways that it could really mess you up um, and the ways that it could really sort of pull you back together. And I don't want to spoil too much of that plot. Um, don't spoil anything. And in fact, I will spoil nothing at all. Yeah. And <laughs> a book I hate. I don't have one. I don't, I really don't have one. I'm not good at this. Okay. Stuff. What's, not... what about a book that you put down because you really didn't like it so far? 
I don't, my brain doesn't have that kind of space to like retain. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, but what I like about you, this is Are like, you not like, like a grudge two... person? No, no. What is oh. there to be grudging about? What's a- A funny story later in life, like about that kid. I remember every detail of that little Mo Salah kid, because I'm going to tell that story for the rest of my life at every soccer event I go to. I don't have that. I wish I had that muscle, but I don't have that muscle. Like, I don't have the muscle that's like, I'm going to remember this and the way that I'm mad about it because mm -hmm. it should live in my brain so that I can recall mm -hmm. it later. I just don't, I don't have it. I wish I did. I Sometimes I really I wish haven't. I, you're like, I have been afflicted with this. I have enough for both of us probably. It's I'm glad. 90% of you know. my personality. I'm 90% grudge and 10% snacks and that's it. That's me. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> That's beautiful. Diet Coke specifically um, and hot dogs. Um, okay. What's the last really great book you read? Uh, last great book I read. I just got the um, advanced reading copy for this book called Rap Capital, an Atlanta story. Mm. Um, it's by Joe Coscarelli, who's a New York Times music reporter. And he wrote this like thick ass book about how Atlanta became the center of hip hop because – I don't know. Like, are you a big hip hop person? Yes. No. I am, but I don't agree with that assessment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I agree I'm with I'm from it. California, though. So there's like a lot of opinions about, oh. you know, regionally hip hop and what is the center of hip hop. I'm but not a huge like, hip hop person, but I'm into hip hop. I th but I think there's something compelling about that, right? There's something compelling about we are in such like a big Atlanta moment right now. Yeah. Um, and that feels surprising to so many people. Like, if you think about like, if you think about like the great centers of hip hop and like, sure, New York, absolutely California. Um, but then like as hip hop kind of like shifts around in a bunch of different mm -hmm. places, like weirdly we were like in a big Houston moment, you know, um, mm -hmm. in like the mm -hmm. early 2000s. But then we kind of just shifted gears and now we're in Atlanta with like Young Thug or like Lil Baby or like Migos um, mm -hmm. and all and like and the Atlanta sound more than anything else is like the predominant kind of hip hop sound right. of the moment. And maybe people are mad about this, but I think like <laughs> that wasn't going to be taken for granted, I think, by anyone who's in Atlanta, especially like when you think about, I don't know if you remember like the moment where Outkast like won the award and they got up and they're like, the South got something to say. Something you know? to say. Yeah, um, because like the South was for the longest time kind of treated as like an afterthought when it comes to hip hop. Right. Um, and then suddenly you have hip hop kind of come to the middle, come to the fore, Atlanta come to the fore as hip hop is becoming the most predominant form of popular music that we have. And so Joe Coscarelli kind of like traces the, the rise of both of those things. And also like not an insignificant amount about Drake and the way that he sort of shapeshifts from like borrowing from Houston and borrowing from Atlanta and borrowing from lots of different places to become, you know, the most popular rapper on earth, largely because he is so chameleonic in the ways that he kind of approaches hip hop. Speaking of Drake, he just <laughs> released a new album. He did. Any thoughts? Uh, I'm into it, but I'm, I, I've been waiting for Drake to shift gears for some time. Like I, I've honestly, I was bored by the last album I was like, Drake, this is enough of this. We get it. You're lonely and it's hard. And like, who, who cares? Who cares, man? Like, like, we get it. You, your, your fellas will ride with you wherever you go. Who gives a shit? Can you please right. figure out like a different mode of being as an artist? And I think it's actually genuinely hard if you're Drake um, to shift gears and shift like people's perception of you. Except when you drop an album out of nowhere that's like a full-on house record. And people are like, what right. do I do with this? And I'm like, oh, yeah. wow. I've been surprised by Drake precisely <laughs> at a moment when I thought he was incapable of ever again right. surprising me. And so I'm on board <laughs> if purely for the reason of listening to it, be like, huh, this really, this, this is a whole different way of being for Drake. I'm like, that sounds exciting to me. So I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board. Okay. I'll take it. I'll allow that. What I about think, you? Are you are you anti? Is that I'm picking up an anti. No, I'm not. Do you hate it? I'm not anti. No, I just don't think it's that good of an album, personally. <laughs> like it's just like sort of like I think I told you this before, but I used to teach spin, so I listen to a sure. lot of music like that, yeah. like that has that sound and like long songs that have that driving beat, and like they're just not particularly good to me for what they are. Yeah, I do think that part of the issue with Drake, which is a little bit to what you were speaking to, is like. 
Drake hasn't really been a hip hop artist for a long time. And I think mm-hmm. he's always sort of been a pop artist. And I think that if people thought about him more as pop and less about less as hip hop, which of course yeah. has a lot to do with racism and the ways that black people are pigeonholed in certain genres. Yes. So I don't think it's Drake's fault necessarily, but I've always thought of him as a pop person since after his first album, basically like but th- he makes pop music and his first album is pop too. And also, like, you can make the argument that a lot of hip-hop and rap is pop music. Yeah. But I just think, like, this album makes a lot more sense in the line of a pop artist than it does in the line of, like, a hip-hop artist. But, like, that's what's kind of interesting to me about Drake is that, like, he is a product of hip-hop kind of dethroning every other kind of type of music at the top of the pop food chain, right? Like, you don't get a Drake unless you have put in the hours to be, like, rock can move out of the way even just like straight up melodic pop can move out of the way and hip-hop can become like the giant machine that it is i mean like every once in a while you'll see an artist go to the top of the charts and you're like i have no idea who the fuck this is like people woke up in the morning of like young boy fucking never broke again was the top of the charts and people were like who is this how does this happen what's a jack harlow that was a surprise for me (laughs) i was like i don't get this yeah i never i don't know that i've heard a, a jack harlow until i heard what the does he is he the one who sampled fabulous or whatever? Yeah, first class. Glamorous, yes. glamorous. Yeah, yeah. glamorous. Had you no didn't idea. hear what's poppin'? Like that wasn't on your radar. I might have. I just didn't know. I don't have song. I don't know any song names, and I don't know a lot of artist <laughs> names <laughs> until fair. it gets That's to fair. the Grammys, and then I'm like, oh, no. look at oh, isn't she so cute? Look at her in her dress. She <laughs> sings that song. Like I yeah. had heard Dua Lipa for way longer than I knew. Who Dua Lipa was. I can imagine. Like I knew her music, but I didn't, I could yeah. not have told you who sang a lot of those songs. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. But I do feel like you're right. Like Drake, I think Drake rode the hip hop coattails to the top, but I don't think Drake is truly a hip hop artist. To me, I think he's a pop star. And like, that's not to denigrate pop or hip hop. That's just to say that yeah. he's a pop star who is influenced by hip hop music. What is this? Have you checked your watch? Is it already gate? Keeper clock? Is that where we're at? You know what I mean? Like, what is? No, this? I just I I don't know. I I don't I'm mean that kidding. he can't be a hip hop artist. I just mean yeah. if people thought about people are like, oh, what is this house music from a hip hop guy? But I'm like, yeah. if you just thought about him as a pop star, it doesn't feel as hard to make the jump. But right, you know, because like Madonna has, of, yeah, exactly. Kind of like Madonna has like a hip hop album or something, you know, and it's that's like true. that's not a problem. Like Michael Jackson did rock and pop, and like. If you think of these people as as pop stars, I guess it's the opposite yeah. of gatekeeping. I'm saying Drake can move between these spaces and he's not just quote like, unquote let hip-hop. Drake let Drake do whatever he wants to do. Yeah. Just let Drake be sad be a sad boy in any genre he wants. Oh, he will. He he that <laughs> he'll find a way. He will take that permission and he will use it over and over and over. He will run with it. Okay, yeah. we got so off books. We're so deep into Drake. I love it. Drake I love right it. now, I, I'm fine yeah. with it. I mean, your fellow Canadian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My fellow Toronto boy, 100%. Yeah. Congratulations to Drake on your new album. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait. Okay, wait. Speaking of hip hop, are you familiar with the new Jonathan Abrams book that's coming out called The Come Up? It's an oral history of hip hop music? No, but that sounds delightful. I'd love that. Yeah, it's coming out in October. I'm very excited about it. How far does it go back? Like, I well, I think it's like the 50th anniversary of hip hop music is this yeah. fall or something. Yeah. So I think it's going to be 50 full years. I love that. I like that's something yeah. that it, for me is like I would love to spend my time on that. You know, that sounds yeah, amazing. Yeah, I just got the arc and it's bi- it's a big boy. It's <laughs> I, it's large. It's large and in charge. There's like we're in a moment of good hip hop books too, man. Like Daniel so Becker. Denny Levin Becker wrote this great book called What's Good. Um, and it's like, I think the subtitle is Notes on Rap and Language. But he's a he's he's like a linguist by training. And so he spends a lot of time just like on the mm. linguistic elements of like big hip hop songs. And he kind of breaks them down in ways that I just hadn't thought about them. So that's like it's such a good book. It's such a good book. We've been on this show, we've been recently really into music. For, I, sometimes yeah. like this podcast will just have a theme for a while and right now we're in like a black music moment we had danielle smith on the show about her book shine bright legend justin tinsley is on yeah yeah um about his book on biggie you're here 
even though I didn't invite you as a music person, you are a music person, obviously. Yes. Um, yeah. So I, there's lots of music stuff. I'm excited about it. Um, okay. Have you what done? Wait. Books- have you done? Oh. Have you done like musician like memoirs? Have you done like a period of that? So in 2020, we did Marcus J. Moore's book on Kendrick Lamar. The Butterfly mm-hmm. Effect with Cole Kushna, another podcaster who breaks down songs and music. So he was our mm-hmm. guest for that book club. And then we did, we haven't actually done like a famous person's memoir. Like we haven't done Mariah Carey or <gasps> Lenny Kravitz or something, but we've done a few books on music. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole genre with uh, a lot of amazing possibilities. In that genre, yeah. I'd recommend. Um, Brandy Carlisle's uh, memoir. Brandy Carlisle is an artist that means a lot to me. Um, what if I don't know her music? Because that would be a true thing about me that I don't know her music. I don't think you have to. I don't think it's important for you okay. to know her music. I think like she. I think she just has a really compelling journey. But also, I highly recommend that you get to know her music. She's incredible, and she's got a voice that's like unmatched by anyone on earth. It's incredible stuff. Okay, I'll give it a listen. I'll give it a try. Yes. I'll, I'll give yes. anything a listen. Who knows? Good. Okay, what are some other books that you're looking forward to reading? They don't have to be new books. They could just be books that you've been wanting to read. I've been um, subtly and then eventually unsubtly like dropping hints to my wife to be like, hey, I really want to read The Company, which is like this history of the Hudson's Bay Company, um, Mm. which is like an old British sort of trading corporation that then became like The Bay, which is like one of the, the largest sort of retailers here in Canada because like the company, the, the company Hudson's Bay company goes back to like 1670 or something. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm interested in the ways that it's like interwoven with like Canadian colonialism mm-hmm. because we are, I think in like a really powerful moment of trying to understand colonialism in Canada, um, the ways that we mm-hmm. treated indigenous people in this country and its history. And like this book is like this like thick long history of like, you want to know how Canada became the way that it became? Like, here's like here's a corporation that just eventually got way too much political power and got mm-hmm. a chance to like carve up so much of the country according to how it wanted to, and then like kind of like trace a line between that and and the modern day. And so I'm excited to dive into that one, man, because I think I'm like in this moment, I'm like, okay, hey, all right, give me some history books about colonialism in this country. I also got this book that's like a. It's like literally just a history of the Yukon gold rush because <laughs> okay. I was like, I don't know anything about a gold rush. Can anyone fill me in? And then like this book comes along. It's called Gold Diggers, which is like not a particularly um, complicated <laughs> name to remember. It's uh, okay. it's a book yeah. about people who dig for gold, you know, but it's yeah. uh, it's by an incredible author who has done like a lot of significant histories in this country. And so I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to dive into those, but I'm not someone who reads a lot of like historical nonfiction. So this is like okay. – New for me to be like, let's go back to the 1700s and spend some time with this. So let's let's go. Okay, here's my question though. You said that you've been dropping hints to your wife that you want to read this book. Is that because you want her to get it for you, or because you want her to like, give you time alone with the book? No, it's the first. It's a, it's oh, okay. I, and I specifically want. I mean, I was saying it because like it's a big book, and I was like, I don't want to go to the bookstore and carry it all the way home. I wish it would just like. <laughs> manifest itself just like at home you know and so for like literally for two weeks before father's day i was like you know i'm really excited for father's day i hope you didn't get me anything but most especially hope you didn't get me the company a history of the houses bay company um and i think like after the eighth time she was like i might have to get it for him i think he means that did she get it did you get it hell yeah she did okay Um, yeah okay it's it's emily i told you she's a lover oh yes okay i'm so excited it's great it's gonna be a good time oh my god Okay, what's a book that you like to rec- recommend to other people? Ooh, um, A Feel God for Getting Lost by Rebecca Solnit. Um, mm. it's, a, it's a nonfiction. It's a collection of essays about all the different ways we can interpret the idea of getting lost, um, mm-hmm. whether it's losing yourself, losing yourself in another person, um, or the idea of, um, being lost in a in a bad way, the idea of like, oh, that that person mm-hmm. doesn't know how to find their way back to themselves. Um, there's mm. there's all kinds of iterations of loss and getting lost in that book, and how sometimes it can be a beautiful thing, and sometimes how it can be such a devastating thing. Um, I don't know if I would write without Rebecca Solnit 
And I don't know if I would rank without a field guide to getting lost. So I would say that one. Um, Shout out Rebecca Solnit. Um, I think another one if I were to recommend too would be maybe They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us by Hanif Abdul-Rakib. No one one writes like Hanif, man. Nobody nobody (laughs) writes about music like Hanif. Nobody writes about anything like Hanif. So those those are the two. We've done his book on the show. We did... uh... A no, little devil. Uh, not, no. Yeah, I was gonna call it notes on performance. I was like, that is the worst title, and Hanif would kill me if he thought that I yeah. thought that's as creative <laughs> as he could get. Notes on performance. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We did a little devil on the show, and it was a dream. It was one of my favorite yeah. books of last year. Actually, part of the reason I picked up your book out of all the stacks is because he had blurbed it, and it's on the cover. And I yeah. was like, well, if Hanif signs off, he's got fantastic <laughs> taste, and he doesn't blurb that much. No, he really doesn't. I was really, really grateful for his generous words, man. That was uh, yeah. really kind of him, for sure. Okay. Do you have a favorite bookstore? Um, I have a few, but let's uh, sure. let's let's go with hmm. Like they're all in Toronto, so like they're all you know they're all That's sort of great. like local local shout out Toronto um, bookstores. But um, I think let me go with another story. Another story is like a beautifully curated bookshop that as you kind of walk into it, you're like, ah, all these books could be home. Um, <laughs> type books, which now have like multiple locations and I'm really happy for them. Um, but like type books on Queen Street in downtown Toronto, like that's the one, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the one where like you kind of like go in and you're like, I'm going to unearth a treasure today. And then you do. And then you're, you're like, this is what a bookstore is supposed to feel like. So those are the two. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Okay, yeah. what's the last book that made you laugh? Um, I would say Rap Capital, that Joe Coscarelli book that we were talking about. Um, okay. Because Atlanta can be heartbreaking, but also it can be really, really funny. Like there are some incredible <laughs> characters in that book. They're like, what the hell is going on here? I love to meet these people. It's great. Last book that made you cry? Uh, Rachel Cusk, but second place, her most recent novel. Um, there are... Some genuinely heartbreaking turns in that book. Mm. Last book that made you angry? I don't get angry, man. Tracy, come on. You know, we, we <laughs> talked about that. <laughs> I'm getting we, angry. You're getting angry. Yeah. But like, that sounds like it happens often. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. No, I'm joking. It's true. <laughs> okay. There's this book that I'm reading about Kid A. Are you a Radiohead person or no? No. I like creep. <laughs> like everyone. I love this. I like creep and then it stops. Okay. So I am, I would say like I'm a medium person, medium okay. radiohead person. Um, but then there's this book about Kid A, which is like their album from 2001 or 2000. I can't remember. And it's like a really divisive album because like very like intense radiohead people are like, this is when radiohead became radiohead. And then others are okay. like, I think it's just kind of a pretentious record that's not that accessible. I don't know why we're so <laughs> excited about celebrating this album. And I'm reading this book by Stephen Hayden, who is firmly in the camp of this is when Radiohead became Radiohead. Um, and it's a it's a book about Kid A and the making of the 21st century. I think that's like the subtitle of it. And I think I got angry sometimes, not at Stephen Hayden so much as specifically at like the ways that Radiohead want you to bristle when you're listening to their music. I'm like, should music mm. make you feel like this? Like, should we be this mm. tense when we're listening to music? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm wrestling with that because I'm firmly in the camp of mm, Kid A is like a pretentious, more pretentious album than not. There are some songs that are really like on that record, but I don't think we need to like vault this into like their most perfect album. But because I think that, I'm trying to like read people who challenge my perspectives mm. on this. And so I'm reading this book and I'm getting mad as I read it. So like maybe that, yes, like that counts. That counts. Yeah. That fully like, counts. Tracy's like, yes, get angry. Let's see more of I this get anger. That's, this is a, the way I like to read. I'm like, oh, let me find someone who's <laughs> totally wrong and then enjoy how much I hate them forever. Sure, <laughs> of course. <laughs> What's Totally the normal book? thing to go to books for. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I have a super normal reading habit. Don't worry. <laughs> um, what's a book where you felt like you learned a lot? Emma Healy wrote this incredible book called Best Young Woman Job Book. That's the title. I really have a hard time remembering all of it. (laughs) And it's like her account of trying to make it as a writer while also working at a bookstore, while also working um, in a bunch of unpredictable kind of precarious gig economy works. And Mm. it was like such a pleasure to spend time with all the things I didn't expect to in that book. 
Okay. I teased this way earlier. What book is your problematic favorite? I don't know if I have a problematic favorite either. R- what I- do you mean? You have to love something that you know is like, can't talk uh, about that. I think there are writers that I can't talk about anymore. But sure, the, tell but me about the, them. But like the books, but the books like don't the books stand the test of time. Like I don't Do go they? to parties. <laughs> I, I don't, bet they I don't. don't. Go to, I, I no, I really like I really don't. I don't go to parties and go, man, it's complicated to talk about Norman Mailer. You know? Um no. but, yeah. but 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 it is. I read right? Executioner Song and it does not stand the test of time. I don't I haven't read Executioner Song. Is it a, so we're, yeah, don't. so we're not it's we're not so fans? Long. Well, I don't know. I just wasn't. I mean, now the way. Yeah. But now the way like true crime is, it sort of is a dud. It's like a little slow. I haven't. I don't know. I wouldn't. I literally wouldn't know because I haven't read it. But um, but I I guess maybe in that regard, like Norma Mailer might be my problematic fave author in that way. But like, that's okay. Yeah, that's a good answer. But I continue to say, like, it's not like I'm walking around and be like, y'all, have you right. read? Because I don't, no. you, you don't go to parties and say that. Because, like, this guy, woof, real problematic, just like as a figure. Um, yeah. And so, but like, no, there's no specific book that I'm like, let me just, let me just hide this from people. I feel like I should put what is your problematic favorite or who, because I feel like both answers are acceptable. You should, yeah, you should put who. I should sure. update. I should update. Um, yeah. Okay. If you were a high school teacher, what's a book you would assign to your students? Ooh, I love that question. Um, Changing My Mind by Zadie Smith. Um, mm. I I was thinking you may have gathered that I read a lot of uh, nonfiction. Um, Changing My Mind is a is a I love this is a collection of essays that Zadie Smith put out that's about just that about you know having a certain perspective and then the experiences the life experiences that made her change it um i think um grown-ups if you will tend to present as a little bit too neat in their way they develop their takes and their opinions and like Mm. none of it was that neat and so often we kind of go through something that makes us go oh i completely see this in a different light um Mm -hmm. and i think i've was fortunate enough to have teachers that did that for me when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as a result, I would want younger people to have that demonstrated. I think she demonstrates it so beautifully in that book. I love that. Okay. Last one, but I don't know if I have to change it because you're Canadian. So I'm going <laughs> to ask it and then you can tell me who you'd like to do it for. So the question is, if you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would it be? But do you want to change it and do it for JT? My good man, JT. Uh, can you imagine if we referred to our prime minister as JT? Can you like... <laughs> well, we do here in America. We love a JT. Justin Timberlake, Justin Trudeau. We just... Justin Tinsley. We love a Justin T. <laughs> I love that. Wow. I never thought about recommending a book for the prime minister. Is it a prime minister or is it a prime minister? How do you say it? Well, I say prime minister, but you said prime minister. I see. Well, I think it depends on the day for me. I don't don't think I'm married to a specific. I wasn't sure. I don't know. I'm not Canadian. I don't know how you guys do things. Americans be fucking shit up all the time. No, but I, but I literally can't tell if it's like me speaking that way because I, it's like, it's my second language or not. You know what I mean? Like it's literally, it it could be that, you know I'm like? It's like, is I think I just kind of grew up talking like this because that's how we talked, but I have no idea whether that's correct or not. Okay, well, I don't know either. So you're since you're the Canadian, I'm going to defer to you. I'm going to go Prime Minister, Prime Minister. <laughs> well, What's the, the book? book for What's the, the book, book for the Prime Minister. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me recommend a Canadian author, Cherie Dimeline. She's written some incredible works. What the one I'd recommend is maybe Empire of Wild. Um, it's a really compelling book that's about. Um, a an indigenous person who sort of subtly realizes that they maybe are giving up a little bit too much of their land and and the forces that come with that. Um, her her most well known book is the Marrow Thieves, which is like a, like a sort of futuristic dystopian um, novel that mm. people can't stop talking about. 
like it's come out like maybe like six or seven years ago, but people like continue to wow. just love it so much. Um, but Empire of Wild is like just like a little bit more intimate. Um, it's a little bit more complicated and it's about not just about colonialism, but also about the ways that you can sometimes maybe kind of colonize yourself, you know, um, and the consequences thereof. And so maybe that would be my choice. Love it. Yeah. Okay, Justin Trudeau, let us know what you think of our recommendation. <laughs> Let's go. I'm ready. Um, everybody else, we're out of here today, but Elamine will be back on July 27th. We are discussing season of migration to the north. And can you, how do I say his last name? Tayeb Saleh? Tayeb Saleh is how I would say it. Is how Tayeb. I would say it. But you, you say it again. How would you say it? Tayeb Saleh. Tayeb Saleh. Yeah. So. Close enough, man. We'll take it. I okay. love it. We'll take it. Anyways, it's super short. It's a slim novel. It's a the, it's the Sudanese novel. The if you Sudanese ask novel. The people yes. who decide these things. Um, yes. So yeah, we're going to discuss that on the 27th. There will be spoilers, plenty of them. So please read the book before then. And also go out and get your copy of Son of Elsewhere, which is El Amin's book, which is out in the world. El Amin, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, y'all, that does it for us today. Thank you so much to Elamine for being my guest. And I'd also like to say a huge thank you to Abdi Omer and Taylor Noel for helping to make this episode possible. Reminder, the Stacks Book Club pick for July is Season of Migration to the North by Tayeb Salih, which we will be discussing on July 27th with Elamine Abdel Mahmoud. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the Stacks wherever you're listening to podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagiragis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Thank you.